Hello, and welcome back to the Sage of the Modern Age, a place where we discuss and break down the world building, geography, politics, and magic of popular books, movies, TV shows, and video games. Today, we're going to be talking about the Dresden Files, specifically the world building and geography of the Dresden Files universe. This is a spoiler warning for anybody who hasn't read the Dresden Files. We're going to be discussing all the way up to the book Battlegrounds. So anybody who hasn't read up to that point and doesn't want spoilers, please go do so and then come back. The first thing I wanted to talk about is the first non-normal or paranormal entity that we see in the Dresden universe, and that would be vampires. Vampires in the Dresden universe are divided into three categories. The red vampires, the white vampires, and the black vampires, also known as the red court, white court, and black court vampires. Red court vampires are the closest to what we would think of as normal vampires. They drink blood, they are undead, and they're harmed by the kind of things that we expect vampires to be harmed by. Sunlight, uh, wooden stakes, those kinds of things. But they're not quite undead humans. Red court vampires are a bit like a parasite. When infected, the person transforms into a bat-like creature that is able to cloak themselves in a body of human flesh that makes them look normal until they're damaged or harmed in some way, and then they will transform back into these large humanoid bat creatures. They also have a necrotic saliva that enables them to make their prey more docile and easier for them to go in and drink the blood and take from these people because they become addicted to that saliva that puts them into a, a trance, almost a state of uh, relaxation. The second type of vampire is the white court vampire. Now these vampires are vastly different from what we typically see as vampires because they're emotional vampires. We know of three houses within the white court and each of them feasts on a different type of emotion. The most common in the books is the Wraith House, and they feed on lust. Known as succubi and incubi, they feed on the sexual energy of human beings and thus are able to manipulate them into sexual acts so that they can drain that energy. The other two that we know of feed on fear and on anger. Because of this ability to feed on human emotions, the weaknesses of the white court vampires become the opposite of their emotions. We learn true love is the anathema to the wraith's abilities. The opposite of fear, we would assume to be courage. True courage would be able to damage and harm a vampire who, a white court vampire who feeds on fear. I'm not sure what that would be for anger and rage, but I'm sure we might get to it in the storyline. Um, we also know that whereas the red cord vampires are a bit more like a parasite, the white cord vampires are a bit more of a symbiotic relationship. The hunger, which is what they call the demon that gives them their powers, requires that they devour human energy, human emotions. But in exchange, it gives them speed, strength, healing factor, ridiculously long lifespans, those kinds of things. And so as long as they keep feeding themselves, the demon continues to give them this power. The hunger gives them this power. However, if they stop, the hunger devours them instead, and they both die together. 
The last type of vampire is the black court vampire. Now in the book, they talk about how this is the vampire that Bram Stoker based his vampire book Dracula off of, um, but they're not quite the same as those vampires. For example, black core vampires do not drink blood. Uh, however, they do seem to be harmed by sunlight. They are repulsed by religious iconography like crosses and the belief. Um, black core vampires also have the ability to mesmerize people. They can use their eyes and their magic to mind control people and create what Dresden refers to as Renfields, which are humans that are completely mind wiped. There is no thoughts in their mind. They are just servants of the black court and do whatever they're told. These become ruthless uh, assistants, ruthless soldiers for their army. They are able to take damage without feeling pain because their minds don't work anymore. They will follow any order given to them, regardless of who gives it or why or when, as long as it's from someone working for the black court. And so this makes them extremely dangerous because they can turn a civilian population into an army. But because of the wide known uh, scope of their weaknesses, it's very difficult for them to actually build up any type of resistance because they're easily killed and so they have to stay in the dark. Up next, we're gonna talk about werewolves. There are four different types of werewolves in the Dresden verse. There are loop guru, hexen wolves, normal werewolves, and lycanthropes. We see all four of them in the second book, Full Moon, and each type is described to us. So let's just go down in that list in the order that I gave it and talk about exactly what those are. Loop guru is the main kind of villain, so to speak, of Full Moon. It's a human being whose family line has been cursed to transform once a month on the full moon into a half wolf, half man creature. This creature does not have the mind of the human while they are transformed. They don't have the ability to think or act on their own. They just want to destroy and feed. They are typically bound during this time because their human mind knows what what happens. They typically allow themselves to be bound in a greater magic circle, which prevents them from leaving well in their wolf form and causing any harm. In the Dresden universe, the last of the loop guru is defeated in full moon. And so as far as we know, there are no others, but the, the curse is still out there. So next was the Hexen wolves. Hexen wolves are interesting because they are a demon that has created a pact with a human being. So the human puts on a article of clothing. In Full Moon, we see it as a belt. And when that belt is clasped, the wolf spirit, the demon is able to take over and transform the human body into that of a very large, angry looking wolf. The human is still in charge, but the demon mind is also there, almost as a co-pilot in the mind. The two minds, try to work together, but the demon is very vicious and violent and it wants to feed similar to the loop guru. So the human mind is there for cunning and intelligence and the demon mind is there for ferocity and violence and instinct. And so when you put these two together, the Hexen wolf become very dangerous killing machines. And then when the human is finished, they simply take off the belt and return back to their human form 
and then the belt can be put on whenever they need the ability of the hexamol. It's dangerous, it's deadly, um, and very difficult for the human being to control. Most often while in wolf form, the demon is the one mostly in charge, whereas the human is only there to provide intelligence and then eventually to be the host when the belt is taken off. True werewolves are different. True werewolves are what we see with Billy and his pack. And they are human beings with the ability to transform into large wolves. This ability is magical, although it's mentioned in the Dresden verse that it's not exactly like casting a spell, um, but similar along those lines, almost as though they can cast one single spell and that spell is to transform into a wolf. This ability grants them some extra resistances. It gives them speed and strength that they wouldn't have normally. Um, and they're able to shift at will. While they are in the wolf form, they have their human mind. They're able to think fully normally. They're able to process things as though they were a human. They are in full control of the wolf. We also have some evidence that there are where humans, wolves that are able to transform into people, um, basically the opposite of a werewolf using the same process and keep their mind intact across both. Last but not least, we have lycanthropes. Lycanthropes are a little bit odd to put in the werewolf category, but since they show up in full moon with the other werewolves and are discussed along the same lines as those, I figured I'd put them here. Lycanthropes are human beings just normal people that have almost the spirit of a wolf in them. They have the ferocity and violent nature and instincts of a wolf without ever really changing form. Um, they're a little bit stronger than a normal human being, a little bit more durable than a normal human being, but they don't actually shift into anything. They don't actually transform into werewolves. And so because of that, they're a little bit weaker than the other types of werewolves, a little bit less common, but we also know that there's not only werewolf or wolven lycanthropes. Um, it's discussed very briefly in the book that there are other types, but werewolf or wolf type lycanthropes are the only kind we ever actually get to see. Up next, we need to talk about the Never Never. The Never Never is kind of a half world. It's a place between this world and what's known as the outside, which is something we'll talk about later. Uh, but the Never Never is a place of magic, of mystery. It's a lot of where the majority of the magical creatures in this world come from, and it's a place of imagination. Um, the creatures who live there kind of control the area around them, make it like them, and do that through their personality, through their nature. Um, and the creatures from the Never Never typically have very strong nature that they have to follow. They, this is them. This is what they do, who they are, and they cannot change that. Unlike mortals or creatures from the, the mortal plane of normal Earth who are capable of determining their own nature, determining their own destiny, so to speak, the creatures from the Never Never don't get to do that. So the first of those that I'd like to talk about is the fairy. There's the winter fae, the summer fae, and those that are neither winter nor summer. They kind of sit in a weird in-between place. And these fairy, um, or the fairy in general, 
are creatures of nature. Um, the winter fae represent the more vicious side of nature, uh, cruelty, hunger, hunting, um, and animals that are predators. Whereas summer represents the more growth-oriented side of things, fire and plants and growth and um, rebirth, those kinds of things. Neither one are good nor evil. Well, it seems like the summer fae are more good aligned. Uh, they would be perfectly fine with the world being overgrown with trees and roots and all people dying um, and returning everything to nature. Whereas winter, while they seem evil, are all about nature taking its course and the, the survival of the fittest and the strong. The unaligned fae, uh, specifically goblin kin and the wild hunt, are kind of wild cards. They don't fit in either one of these two categories, either as winter or summer fairies. And it's hard to know exactly what to expect from them, unless you know specifically what type of faction in the unaligned fairy, unaligned fae that they are connected with. For example, the wild hunt exists to hunt. They get called into the material plane with a target in mind and they kill everyone and anything in their way until they get there. Uh, basically the saying goes, you are either killed by the hunt or join the hunt. Those are your two options. Another cool and important bit of information about the fairy is that they are capable of having children with mortals, with normal humans. These children are known as changelings and changelings have some of the powers of their fairy parentage, but the choice, the free will of their human parentage. And so they're able to decide to be more fey or more human. And they call this the choice. And at any point in time in a changeling's life, they can make the choice to go fully fairy, taking on all of the powers of their fairy parent and transforming into the fey that they are descended from and in turn giving up their own free will, becoming fully creatures of their nature, of um, the things that they are as their fairies. Or they can choose to become fully human, giving up that fairy side of them and taking on a, a purely mortal life. They will die at the same time as any other human would, and they basically just become normal people. The next residents of the Never Never are the spirits. Now there's several different kinds of spirits. There are demons, there are knowledge spirits, there are the Loa and many others, but the spirits are all very similar. Basically they don't have a physical body. They can create one while they are on the material plane out of ectoplasm, uh, which is like a gooey, almost clear substance that can be formed into things by the spirits into bodies and constructs. Some of the more notable spirits in the book series are Bob. He's a knowledge spirit that helps Harry out. He's trapped in a skull. Um, he kind of becomes Harry's assistant and mentor in the magical arts. There are demons, which are not necessarily fallen angels like they are in uh, Christian mythology, although there are fallen angels in the series. Um, they are more just 
malevolent beings that can be summoned bound by a wizard or other magic user to do their bidding. There are the phobophages, which are spirits that take the form of and then feed on people's greatest fears and several other spirits throughout the, uh, throughout the series. The last thing to talk about is the outside. Now, the outside is beyond the never-never. It's something that wizards are forbidden from researching or traveling to be due to the rules of magic, which is something we'll talk about in the next episode. But the creatures from the outside are extremely dangerous and weird. We don't know a lot yet about what they can do, but it seems like they have a lot of mental abilities, psychic abilities. The three major outsiders that we learn about are the walkers. He who walks before, he who walks behind, and he who walks beside. He who walks behind was summoned by Harry's first wizarding teacher, Justin de Morn, who Harry then had killed because he was a dark wizard and was breaking the laws of magic and wanted to mind control Harry and his uh, fellow learner. He who walks before is a shark-headed creature that Harry meets in McAnally's Tavern and has a confrontation with. And he who walks beside is the creature known as Nemesis. Now, Nemesis is something that we've only learned about just recently and something that we don't have hardly any information about except for that they are capable of infecting people and turning them to their side somehow. Um, like I said, very little is known about the walkers and the outsiders in general. And so there's not much for me to say in relation to these just beyond their names and uh, that they exist. And that'll be it for this episode of Sage of the Modern Age. Thank you for watching and uh, thank you for your support. Uh, the Dresden Files is a fantastic series with lots of different types of mythical creatures and magic, and we're excited, I'm excited to discuss those things with you. Come back next week for the episode on the magic system in the Dresden universe, and to talk more about the rules of magic and how magic works. Until then. Thank you so much for joining us at the Sage of the Modern Age. We're grateful that you're here, and we hope you enjoyed the episode. If you'd like to find more, you can find the podcast on any of the major podcatchers, including Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and many more. The videos are also uploaded to YouTube, and we'd love to see you there as well. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Sage of the Modern Age or at SOTMA. If you'd like to support the podcast, there's a link on the Anchor website, anchor.fm backslash S-O-T-M-A, where you can donate to the podcast and send voice messages and tell us what you enjoyed, what you didn't enjoy, give us suggestions as to what we can do for future episodes. Hope to hear from you and hope to see you next week. Till then, bye.